This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, friends. You're listening to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us this week. My name is Dustin Smith, and if you didn't know, I will be your host. This here is episode 165, entitled Mark's High Human Christology, Chapter 6. I hope you've been enjoying our series on the Gospel of Mark's Christology. We are continuing our look at the portrayal of Jesus Christ within Mark, which is our earliest New Testament Gospel account. And our goal is to deliberately go out of our way to seek out the highest and most exalted things said about Jesus within the Gospel of Mark. Thus far, we have traced a theme in Mark that understands the figure of Jesus to be a human being who is already highly authorized and empowered by God. Will that all change after we look at the evidence in this week's episode? Today, we will examine the hometown rejection of Jesus to see the sort of understanding of Jesus that is inadequate. We will also see how Jesus responds to this rejection. Second, we will look closely at Jesus' claim to be the shepherd of the sheep and ask what this would have meant within its Jewish and Greco-Roman context. Third, we will examine the miraculous dividing of the loaves and fish in order to see what this miracle has to say about Mark's Christology. Lastly, we will look at the words of Jesus when he addressed his disciples while walking on the water, asking if this declaration is a subtle claim to be Yahweh, the only true God. What sort of nuanced Christology does Mark's gospel have in store within the sixth chapter? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is the hometown rejection. We'll be reading out of Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and the many listeners were astonished saying, Where does this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. 
and he could do no miracle there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. It's Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. And so in this particular account, Jesus returns to his hometown with his disciples, and he begins to teach on the Sabbath. This, of course, provokes a variety of questions from those who heard his teaching. All of these questions, by the way, actually deal with the important Christological question. When we look at the text, we can see five questions that the crowds within the synagogue are asking. They ask, where does this man get these things? They ask, what is this wisdom given to him? They also ask, in regard to what is given to him, such miracles as these performed by his hands. Fourth question is, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And the last question is, are not his sisters here with us? And when we look at these questions, I don't know about you, but I get the impression that the answers given by the countrymen of Jesus are really not sufficient for understanding the Christological portrayal that Mark has given his readers thus far. It's just Jesus is a carpenter, which, by the way, might be more accurately translated as a stonemason or a construction worker, based on some modern linguistic study. But nobody wants to acknowledge the source of Jesus' authority, which, by the way, is something that even the demons openly admit. They don't acknowledge that Jesus was baptized and that he received the Spirit. They don't acknowledge that he is the Son of Man who bears authority. And so I want to ask this question, is Mark deliberately depicting the crowds asking all of the low Christological options that are so low that the reader is coming to expect a much higher Christological answer to be revealed in the future? And the answer to that is that, well, it's a little bit more complicated than that. We do have a few details within the story that are worth exploring. In regard to the first question that the crowd asked in regard to Jesus, where did this man get these things? This particular question asks about the source of Jesus' teaching, which seems to grant that Jesus is an agent of sorts. But the question is unsure of whether God is the source of Jesus' teaching. The second question they ask, what is this wisdom given to him, also grants the fact that the wisdom spoken by Jesus did not originate with him, but it was given to him. It was given to Jesus by someone else. Now, the divine passive here would strongly suggest that God gave the wisdom to Jesus. But 
the crowds don't ultimately conclude that God is the one that gave it to Jesus. The third question deals with the origins of the miracles performed by Jesus. Like the question before that, the granted assumption is that Jesus is the agent through whom someone is miraculously working. But who is it that is performing these miracles through Jesus? The crowds don't give a specific answer. The last two questions presuppose that Jesus has human brothers and sisters, that Jesus has a human mother. And it indicates, naturally, that Jesus is a human being with these family members. Furthermore, Jesus responds to all of these questions and the rejection by calling himself a prophet. Jesus outright claims to be a prophet, and a prophet by definition, is a spokesperson who speaks and acts as an agent of the one who commissioned him. So by claiming to be a prophet, Jesus is claiming to be an agent. And biblical prophets speak on behalf of the God who commissioned them. Now, to be fair, Mark is clear that simply regarding Jesus as a prophet, is actually not enough. Jesus will ask his disciples later who they think he is. And one of the answers given will be, quote, one of the prophets, end quote. The final answer given by Peter is that Jesus is the Christ. Mark 8, 29. It is also noteworthy that Due to the lack of faith demonstrated within Jesus' hometown, Jesus is unable to perform a miracle. Which is hardly the response we would expect if Jesus was secretly the all-powerful God of heaven, with whom nothing is impossible. But the text is clear, Jesus was not able to perform a miracle there, except for a handful of healings. Let's move on to our second point. Point number two, Jesus as the shepherd of the sheep. We'll read a passage here out of Mark 6, verse 34. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Mark 6, 34. So by regarding the large crowd as sheep, and by teaching the sheep, Jesus seems to indicate that he is the shepherd of the sheep. At least that's the way that Mark is portraying this particular story. Now is this a subtle way that Mark is making Jesus out to be Yahweh? who is the primary shepherd within the Hebrew Bible. That is the conclusion that some people have drawn based on a number of passages in the Hebrew Bible. Let's look at a couple of those to kind of get the sense of how the story might have been heard by the original listeners. Psalm 23 starts off by saying that Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. Psalm 23, verses 1 through 2. In Psalm 80, it starts off by saying, O give ear, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth. Psalm 80, verse 1, where clearly it is God, the one enthroned above the cherubim, who is described as the shepherd of Israel, and Israel slash Joseph is the flock, the sheep. We can also see this in Isaiah 40, starting in verse 10, where it says, Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him, like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. Isaiah 40, verses 10 through 11. So there are plenty of places within the Hebrew Bible to where Yahweh is the shepherd and the people of God are his sheep. However, it is also important to note, and this is extremely important, pay attention, that God himself regularly appoints a qualified human being to share in the shepherding responsibilities. And we could find evidence for this also within the Hebrew Bible. Let's look at this passage in Numbers 27, starting in verse 16, where it says, May Yahweh, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who will go out and come in before them, who will lead them out and bring them in, so that the congregation of Yahweh will not be like sheep which have no shepherd. That's Numbers 27, verses 16 through 17, to where the call is for Yahweh to appoint a human being who is going to function as the shepherd of the sheep. And the reference in the context here is in regard to Joshua. Joshua is that human being who is to function as the appointed and authorized human being who acts as the shepherd over the sheep. And this is something that Yahweh himself appoints. We can also see this in Psalm 78, starting in verse 70, where it says that God also chose David, his servant, and he took him, God took David, from the sheepfolds, from the care of the ewes with suckling lambs. He brought him, God brought David, to shepherd Jacob, his people. Psalm 78, verses 70 through 71, to where God brought out David, the servant of God, to make David the shepherd of God's people. So there God shares the role of shepherding with this qualified human agent, namely David, who is the anointed king, the Davidic king, the son of God. We can also see this in Ezekiel 34, which I think is very likely the passage that Mark has in mind when he is portraying this account of Jesus in Mark chapter 6. In Ezekiel 34, verse 23, God says, Then I will set over them one shepherd, 
my servant David. And he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. That's Ezekiel 34, verse 23. To God makes this David figure, and by the way, at the time of Ezekiel, David has been dead for hundreds of years. So this is the new David, the messianic David, the eschatological David, the Davidic shepherd, the Davidic shepherd king. And we can see here that this person who is distinguished from God is the one who is going to feed the sheep. This servant David will feed the sheep and he will be their shepherd. But this is someone that God himself is going to set over the people. God authorizes this human shepherd figure to not only shepherd the people, but also to feed them. And it's this last passage that I said that I think Mark is arguably thinking of when he portrays Jesus as the shepherd teaching the sheep because right after this statement in Mark 6.34, guess what Jesus does? Jesus feeds the 5,000. So I think Mark is wanting to portray Jesus in terms of this Ezekiel 34 shepherd figure to where Jesus would be a Davidic shepherd, namely a shepherd king who descends from David's family tree. So I don't think it's likely that Jesus, whose actions are claiming to be the shepherd of the sheep, is a subtle claim to be Yahweh himself. I think, on the other hand, this is one of the instances to where Yahweh appoints and authorizes a human being to act as the human shepherd over the people. And if we even wanted to go further, we can actually situate the Gospel of Mark in its Greco-Roman context. We can see there that the various Roman emperors were regarded as shepherd figures. So Philostratus actually called the emperor Vespasian a shepherd who is, quote, just and moderate in his life of Apollonia of Tiana, chapter 5, paragraph 35. Suetonius, the historian, called the emperor Tiberius, quote, a good shepherd, end quote, in his work Tiberius, chapter 32. And Philo, the Greek-speaking Jew of the early part of the first century, records a conversation which states that the emperor Caligula is, quote, a shepherd and master of the flock, end quote. And that's in Philo's tractate uh, Legatus, chapter 52. So in sum, we should be cautious about assuming that Jesus' claim to the role of the shepherd is a claim to being Yahweh, especially since Yahweh regularly authorizes various human figures as qualified agents with whom God shares the prerogative of the shepherding role over the sheep. And Jesus clearly is an agent within the Gospel of Mark. Jesus also seems to claim a role of shepherd that subverts the exalted claims made by the various Caesars. Let's move on to our third point. Point number three, Jesus feeds 
the sheep. This is a familiar count with the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. I'll start here in Mark chapter 6, verse 35. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, and it is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend two hundred denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves. And he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up twelve full baskets of the broken pieces, and also of the fish. There were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. That's Mark 6, verses 35 through 44. So Jesus here acts as the authorized shepherd, who, by the way, feeds the sheep. And it's interesting in this account, as you have likely observed, that Jesus invites his disciples to share in this miracle. He tells the disciples, you feed them. And it indicates that human beings, like the disciples, can indeed perform the miraculous when they are appropriately empowered and authorized to do so. So just because someone performs a miracle in the Bible, that doesn't prove that they are God, doesn't prove that they're divine could indicate that divine power works through them. Now, the story portrays Jesus in terms of other prophetic figures from the Hebrew Bible who also performed food miracles. The first story that I think Mark has in mind is the story of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17. I'll start in verse 8. Then the word of Yahweh came to Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please give me a little water in a jar that I may drink. And she was going to get it. He called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As Yahweh your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Now Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go. Do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from the first and bring it out to me. And afterwards, you may make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says 
the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty, until the day that Yahweh sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of Yahweh, which he spoke through Elijah. That's 1 Kings 17, verses 8 through 16, to where Elijah was a human agent through whom the miracle of the multiplication of the bread and the oil took place. Now there's another example of Elisha, where there is a miraculous feeding. And the language of this particular account in 2 Kings chapter 4 seems to be deliberately drawn upon as Mark portrays the story of Jesus in Mark chapter 6. So look at the story of Elisha in 2 Kings 4, starting in verse 42. Now a man came from Baal Shalisha and brought the man of God, Elisha, bread of the firstfruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And he said, Give them to the people that they may eat. His attendant said, What? Will I set this before a hundred men? But he said, Give them to the people that they may eat. For thus says Yahweh, They shall eat and have some left over. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of Yahweh. That's 2 Kings 4, verses 42-44, through 44, to where Elisha, functioning as the authorized agent of Yahweh, tells his attendant to give the food to the people, just like Jesus tells his disciples to give the food to the people. And there is a miraculous multiplication of food to where there is enough for the people to have, and there was food left over. And so Mark seems to deliberately portray Jesus in terms of the prophetic figures of Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah and Elisha were human agents through whom God performed a miraculous feeding. So not only is Jesus the new Davidic shepherd, but Jesus also the new Elijah and the new Elisha. It's a very interesting point that is often overlooked in readings of this passage. Furthermore, when we put this story again within its Greco-Roman context, we're reminded that there was an extensive food insecurity in the Roman Empire. There was just simply not enough food to go around. So guess what? The upper class persons and the elites ate plenty of food, but the lower classes, the slaves, and the marginalized often went without. But Jesus, on the other hand, demonstrates his ability to feed the ordinary people, the poor people. And this miracle subverts the claims of the Roman Empire. The breaking in of the kingdom of God within the ministry of Jesus once again undercuts the kingdom of Rome. And one final thought 
in regard to the feeding of the 5,000. By dividing bread and fish, Jesus again demonstrates his authority over the land with the bread and his authority over the sea with the fish. I don't think that that is an accident. Let's look at our fourth and final point. Jesus walks on water. Mark chapter 6, let's start in verse 47. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost, and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped. And they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves. But their heart was hardened. It's Mark chapter 6, verses 47 through 52. Now, Mark has already demonstrated within chapter 4 that Jesus possesses authority over the sea. And Jesus did this, of course, when he previously calmed the storm and the winds. So we're not going to rehash all of those particular points when Jesus here is clearly walking on water, which is a demonstration of his authority over the sea. Now when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the water, they were terrified and Jesus tells them to take courage, and Jesus says, quote, It is I, which in Greek is the phrase, Ego in me. And this phrase has been interpreted by some readers as deliberately pointing to passages like in Isaiah, where the Septuagint translates Yahweh, saying, It is I, a self-reference to Yahweh like in Isaiah 41, 4, 43, verse 10, and 48, verse 12. So, is Jesus here subtly claiming to be Yahweh by drawing attention to these passages in Isaiah? But it is also important to note that by saying, it is I, or saying, it go in me, this is really a normal and casual way for anybody to just say, it is me, I am he, I am the one. It's a casual self-reference without pointing to anything specific. And there are a variety of these instances within the New Testament. Now, R.T. France had an interesting comment on this passage in the New International Greek Testament commentary. This is what Dr. France has to say. He says that the temptation to see this common Greek phrase as a deliberate use of the divine name of Exodus 3.14 or an echo of the Isaiah formula, Anihu, should probably be resisted, despite the numerous character of the occasion. A declaration of divinity, France says, does not seem appropriate 
at this point of the narrative, where the focus is on the initial failure to recognize Jesus and his consequent self-identification, for which egoimi is normal colloquial Greek. And he gives passages in Matthew and John. France goes on and he says, Certainly, verse 52 makes it clear that the disciples did not understand Jesus to have just revealed himself as God. And that's what R.T. France says in his commentary on the Gospel of Mark, page 273. So what it is clear, and France is right on this point, is that the disciples do not hear Jesus as saying that he is Yahweh, the only true God. The disciples are defined as persons with no insight. Their heart has actually been hardened. And in particular, the failure of the disciples, according to Mark, is their inability to understand the necessary insight from the incident with the loaves. Where Jesus is depicted as the new Davidic shepherd who acts as the agent like Elijah and Elisha, who is highly qualified and authorized by God. So, in conclusion, we have observed that the Gospel of Mark has a very nuanced understanding of who Jesus is. And the evidence Mark provides comes in the form of words and deeds coming from Jesus and from those with whom he dialogues. We first noted that Jesus claimed outright to be a prophet when members of his own hometown failed to realize that it was God who was empowering Jesus in his miracles and teachings. Second, we observe Jesus claiming the role of the shepherd of the sheep, which is a role primarily reserved for God, but it is one that God shares with qualified and authorized human agents, like Jesus. Third, we saw that the feeding of the 5,000 portrayed Jesus in terms of Old Testament figures like Elijah and Elisha, men through whom God enacted a miraculous multiplication of food. Lastly, we observe Jesus exercising his authority over the water and drawing attention to himself in a manner which probably should be understood as a casual self-reference rather than a subtle claim to be Yahweh himself. So the Gospel of Mark continues to exhibit a high Christology, but it is a high human Christology, portraying Jesus as highly authorized by the true God. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. There's more Christology from the Gospel of Mark to come in future episodes. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please consider supporting us as we aim to promote the important truths about the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. If you'd like to offer a donation, you may check us out for a PayPal link with which you may donate. Special thanks to our producer and editor, Dustin Williams, for his fine work each and every week. My name is Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks, please take care.